I want to give everybody a taste of what you like. I mean, this will kind of feed into this entire podcast about Dream Scenario and us reviewing this film, which, by the way, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you joining after credits. I think you might have joined without a mic when I was doing that one. I know we were kind of debating which one was that episode. But since you came on the Harry Potter reunion episode, that was absolutely long before after credits existed. So thanks for jumping on, dude. This is going to be a fun conversation. I'm stoked to have this conversation. This is a massive movie that feels very intimate. Like it's kind of uh, that weird, hey, everybody's talking about this, but nobody's talking about this. So to paint a picture, what are some of your favorite movies? Some of the movies that you just enjoy doesn't have to be top four, top three just prominent movies that you gravitate toward or filmmakers, just to give maybe any listener a a taste of what your style is. I love this question. I love asking it, but I'm like, when I have to think about it for myself, I'm like, oh my God, well, I don't know. Um, okay. I I love the Daniels, uh, like anything that they do. Um, I, can, I can tell who they are as people, like when I watch their their stuff. Um, and for so anybody, that's like Swiss Army Man. Yeah, okay. Oh, I was yeah. gonna say and, for anybody uh, who didn't know, yeah, Swiss Army Man, everything, everywhere, all at once. Do they have other yeah. projects, or are those are the only two feature films that they've made? I think this is their only two feature films okay. right now. Uh, I think they started doing music videos, and then um, a studio probably reached out to them. Who else? I love Spike Jones. He's probably my favorite director. Um, like any like quirky, like witty, dry stuff. Um, I love Jared Hess. I love old Pixar films, animated stuff. What are old Pixar to you? Is that like, are we talking Toy Story? Is Toy Story Pixar? That's Pixar, right? Yeah, that's Pixar. Okay. Uh, that, is that, like, is that, that fit in that Pixar. realm? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's like their early stuff. Um, like early 2000s, late 90s Pixar uh, was probably my, like, my favorite um, growing up as a kid. That is like very nostalgic. I love a good blockbuster here and there. Uh, superhero movies. I love them growing up and I love like the idea of superpowers and putting that on screen and how are you going to do that uh, was always like interesting to me. But now I'm like, I, I think everybody's getting kind of superhero fatigue right now. Um, the only one I'm like, I think you, you've shared this opinion too, is uh, any like Joker and like Batman. I'm like, yeah, I'll still see that for sure. Yep, Absolutely. You know those. You know why? Because those feel like a twenty-four products. They don't feel like DC products. They feel like these nope. these filmmakers having all sorts of creativity and all sorts of empowerment to make their own film, rather than the Marvels or Shang Chi or all these other movies that feel like these filmmakers probably had an idea, but they couldn't formulate it. They couldn't do it without the studio. I had a you know just a kind of quick interject here. I had a conversation with Scott Derrickson at Fantastic Fest who did Doctor Strange, who did Sinister, and he's kind of known in the the horror world, but he did Doctor Strange. And I asked him why he didn't do Doctor Strange 2. And he said that he was on the project for a year and a half. And it was just a constant battle of him essentially saying the script was shit and the studio saying, well, we're not changing it. And so he eventually left. He stayed on to produce the film. He's still credited on the film. But that's when Sam Raimi came in. And Sam Raimi obviously did the Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire, but he didn't have any context to the 23 or 24 films in the MCU that led up to Doctor Strange 2. And so he just kind of took it on, which, you know, I think people really gravitated toward that movie because of Sam Raimi. I did not. I thought it was a very 
flawed movie. I thought it was one of the least enjoyable movies, but I know a lot of people very much enjoyed it because of his style. Yeah. So I'm curious, like what draws what, what draws you in when it comes to a superhero story or the jo- or Joker or Batman? Is it the filmmaker? Is it the style mix of both? I do like Sam Raimi's style. I will say that. Like I, I grew up on the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Um, and I'm like, uh, yeah, like it sucks to say. I'm like, anytime they mention like, oh, Tobey Maguire is going to be in the spider. I'm like, yeah, I'll see it. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, I'm interested. But even though I'm like, sometimes when I'm watching it, I'm like, he's not even that good. Uh, I so I feel like I have that realization sometimes. But I'm like, I still love him. It's kind of like cult classic-y, you know? Like it, it, it's not like, it's not quality it's not great it's not oscar worthy or anything like that but it's just it's it's comforting it's good it's 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 a i don't know a little bit uh i don't know it's like a mix of like his uh i think he's a little bit carried by danny elfman in those that trilogy but did you like multiverse of madness did you enjoy that film i it's pretty split between audiences i'm on one side but are you on the other side I, I think I took an edible before, and so I loved it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I had a really good time. Uh, okay. It was like, I don't think it's like a great movie. I think it was like good for like what it was, like a blockbuster-y superhero movie. And I think that's just what it is with like a little bit of like horror and like silly transitions. And I don't know. I don't feel I don't like rate movies based on like how I want it to fit into my I guess like view. I'm just like how did this make me feel and I feel like that's like really what I'm paying attention to is like how am I feeling? What am I thinking? Yeah. And um there were like some moments I enjoyed in that movie. I liked the horror aspect of it. I liked some of the 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 camera shots. Um I don't know one that like stuck out to me was like the funeral shot. Like when he's just like, or I know it was a wedding. It was a wedding, and it was like a just a stable shot, and he's just like sitting there. It was like a felt like a pretty long shot, but something about it felt like three dimensional. Okay, I have I still don't know why. Yeah, some of the CG was like pretty wonky, but to be honest, like that's pretty expected with uh, visual effects artists not getting enough time. And um, I mean, that's why they've they've created a union now. You know, they don't have enough time to do their projects. You know, so now Marvel VFX yeah. has their own union because that exact scenario, Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. You know, they have the same issue. The Eternals was kind of floppy in that weird sense. I at least felt something with Doctor Strange with Ant Man. I was like, this felt like it was made by AI. Like yeah. this was the AI superhero formula, and at least Doctor Strange felt like a little bit different which I kind of enjoyed. Okay. Um, and some people don't like that, which I totally understand. But Ant-Man was like exactly what I don't like. And I'm like, I, I'm done. Uh, I didn't even watch it in the theaters. Like I saw the trailer and I was like, that looks awful. Yeah, it was, I, I don't know. Overstimulating is the word that I use with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I just think you're stuck in VFX for too long. Like I don't mind VFX as long as there's a balance of, the practical side of things being in the real world sense, practical sets, like you, you feel like you're actually on location. That entire shoot felt VFX green screen. You know, they're in this, this propped up studio. I don't know. It just, it, it didn't gravitate toward my attention or anything similar. So with you and you like, you know, I, I feel like you have a pretty distinguished style of movies. That's why I love bringing you on to talk about dream scenario. 
because your humor, I feel like you gravitate toward dry humor, kind of this adult off-tone comedy, um, but also crafted filmmakers. Like we've talked about David Fincher. I know that you gravitate toward his films. We've even talked about some of the the Paul Thomas Anderson films. So before we, we get into the movie news, I, I'm curious, like, why do you like movies? Like what, and everybody's different here, but like, why do you personally enjoy movies? And why do you go watch them in theaters? Why do you watch them at home? Regardless of where you're at, why do you take two hours to three hours out of any given night to watch movies? I think it's like, it's an art form that it's entertaining. It pleases more of your senses, like your your hearing and your visual. It tells a story. Um, it kind of gets you to care about things you didn't think you would care about. Mm. And it also kind of like directs you how to feel. Um, I have a weird question for you. If you were, if aliens came down, who what movie would you show them? Oh, uh, that's a good qu- I almost wonder if people would show their personal favorite movie or if they're kind of, I don't know, maybe obliged to show something else. You know, if, if aliens came down. I guess to down, show like, humanity oh like, to what's show a movie humanity. that like portrays okay. humanity i guess to be honest and maybe this is recency bias but i feel like the most real film that expresses the human emotion that i've seen recently and that i have kind of prominent in my mind is there will be blood by paul thomas anderson i just think if you want to know really? how humans interact how how greedy we can be when it comes to money and product and validation and power i just think that's that's the human experience. So if you want to understand, and, and don't get me wrong, that took that takes place, you know, early, what is that, 1900s, maybe late 1800s. So it's not like a modern day contemporary film. But I do think if you want to see a an incredible film, let's, let's just say that first, I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. But B, incredible acting, an incredible plot that's slow. And it's it takes its time and it's patient to tell this story. Whereas so many films feel rushed to me. Like even an hour and a half film, people are just trying to stuff it with so much. And honestly, that argument can be made for this movie that we'll talk about. But there's a lot that's infused into every single movie. Whereas when films can have a sense of identity and take its time and kind of disclosing that, I respect it a lot. Like I think that that's a that's a great avenue. But the weird choice for you would you what would you choose? What would be your film to show? humanity and what we're all about oh man dude i i mean think about my own answer <laughs> um <laughs> damn i feel like a and i would be scared to show aliens there will be blood uh, <laughs> it's a I scary film like, they're gonna kill us dude don't show them that. <laughs> see if, if aliens um, were open to having like a general or a genuine conversation afterwards like i think that's one i would delve into if they're just like hey show me one film we're not going to talk afterwards at all i'd be like all right what's the most feel-good story uh 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 let's uh let's go pixar let's go disney let's go something like yeah, really yeah. easy going but if it's like hey let's delve into this let's talk about this let's talk about how it relates to humanity that's where I would be drawn into it. I have you seen Truman Show? I have seen the Truman Show. That's a great movie. Okay, I I don't know why it popped into my mind. I watched it like a couple months ago. I it was like one of my favorite movies growing up, and I was like, "Is this does this still hold up?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's still pretty good." Absolutely, uh, dude. That film is incredible. I saw it for the first time last year. I I I'd never touched it in my life. Same with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Never touched both of those yeah. movies. And so if people look at Jim Carrey and they're like, yeah, he can't do more than comedy. 
watch those two movies and you'll just be like that just diminishes all sorts all opinions relative to him not being a good actor i i would say comedy is harder uh i agree with that most categories um and horror i think comedy and horror like the two hardest movies they never get nominated for shit and i think if you were to like make or try to make one of those two i think those are going to be the most difficult so to look for like a comedic actor i think that would be like a very like if he has comedic chop or if he or she has comedic chops i would be like that's a must yeah uh, yeah. for me there's I'm a like, certain charisma with that too you know yeah i think if they have comedy and they kind of like know human emotion i think they're gonna be fine i honestly think jim carrey is a really great actor uh i don't even remember if he was nominated for either of those let's let's find out i know it doesn't matter but i think people reference <laughs> those movies as some of the yeah. most vital movies to show you know i mean from what I'm seeing, he was not nominated. He was nominated for a primetime Emmy, but not nominated for any, you know, film award regarding those. So like no Oscar, no Golden Globe, nothing similar. I did like your your answer and, and I like asking anybody why they like watching movies and why they spend time, or why do you spend time reading books, or why do you, you know, invest in I don't know, going to the park and doing whatever you're doing. You know, I just think people have a reason for investing their time into something. And the most common thing that I've heard is escapism. You know, it's a sense of dreaming and imagining. And that's kind of where I lie. You know, I, I'm somebody who yeah. I, I wish I could remember my dreams, you know, no pun intended to this film that we're going to talk about. But like, I wish I could remember my dreams much more than I do. And so when you watch a movie, this is literally what filmmakers do. They just dream an idea. They say, well, this is not practical. I can't just live this life. I can't just do this on the day to day basis. But I can create something. I can create an escape. I can create that quote unquote dream. And I think that allows people to remember them forever. You know, Casablanca and Singing in the Rain and Rear Window and all these films that were made in the you know 30s, 40s, 50s, they'll be remembered forever because somebody decided to kind of take their dream or their imagination and document it and film it and write it and show it to the world. So me taking time out of my day to invest in something like that is essentially me diving into the imagination and the dreams of somebody else and and allowing myself to kind of adapt to that, learn from it, see, hey, how do I take what little elements or little aspects of what you've done and what you've shared? And how can I do that for myself? How can I now investigate that as a, you know, an aspiring filmmaker, somebody who wants to be in this world? So I like that you, you know, you kind of said something similar or, or something when it came to the feeling, you know, the emotion that you get, because I think that's what matters most. You know, people ask me what makes a movie a good movie. And in my opinion, I think if you feel the way the filmmaker intended you to feel, it's probably a good movie. You know, if it's a horror film and they wanted you to be scared and you got scared, that's probably a successful film. Now, does it make it a top tier or a list or anything like that? That's debatable. But I think feeling is a really good metric because at the end of the day, it's yeah. a subjective world. You know, we can't decide what's good or not. Yeah, I think being immersed and falling into like the verisimilitude of the movie is very important for sure. And I think just like falling for like filmmaking tricks is is like that's definitely a key. Um, but even then, I'm like, there's some like good movies that I'm like, I don't, I just don't personally connect with that. Yeah, even There Will Be Blood, like I like, I lost interest. Okay, like, 
30 minutes in, to be honest. So I stopped watching. I was like, oh, there's a, this is a long movie. And I love Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson. But I was like, I might need to be like with some film bros to be watching this right now. <laughs> I, I do think if you're going to have a conversation after, it makes it that much more exciting. Like I did watch it. I watched it by myself, but I watched it again with... Uh, we we do these movie nights, or at least we did, and I watched it with them. You know, I think we were you there. You might have been there. I can't remember, but we watched this film. Not for there will be blood. Okay, okay. But as you know, during those movie nights, we always stay for an extra half hour or so. We just talk about the movie. We talk about emotions, you know, yeah. the performances and what they're trying to say and how we felt, you know, and seeing the methodical acting of somebody like you know Daniel Day Lewis, who I consider that performance the greatest acting performance I've ever seen. That is something where I just I, I can't believe it until I'm watching the entire thing. And I'm like, they, they did this. Somebody filmed this. He was acting this way toward Paul Dano. Like, it's kind of unreal. But I like that. Watch movies. It's going to make you feel a certain way. You ready to dive into this? Should we dive into some movie news before we uh, share our yeah, yeah. thoughts on Dream Scenario? Okay, cool. I feel like this would be... I typically share news from Variety or Hollywood Reporter. But I felt like... This would be beneficial for anybody looking for something to watch at home in December. So I just took nine of probably the most popular movies that are going to be streaming in December. So I'll run through these pretty quick. I'm not going to spend too much time on them. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So that is now on Disney+. Plus. It came out yesterday or on uh, the 1st. This is made by James Mangold. This is Harrison Ford's last film, presumably, when it comes to the Indiana Jones franchise. I will be completely honest, not a big fan. I thought it was a dud of a film, but did you see this one? Do you have any thoughts on it? I did not see it. Okay. I saw the trailer <laughs> and I was like, I'm not watching that. Like, And I love the tri- the Indiana Jones trilogy. saw the fourth one uh, pretty young and I liked it as a kid. It, it hit that like middle line of like horror for me. It was like, a, like that ant scene. Yeah. I was like, oh, yep. that was kind of spooky. But as I got older, I was like, I, I don't care about this at yeah. all. I don't think these these films age out as well as I think many people would like them to, personally. Like, Star Wars yeah. ages well, in my opinion. But I don't think Indiana Jones ages as well as it does. It's almost more of a cult classic trilogy now. Oh, you don't think the trilogy ages well? I don't, personally. I, th- I like the first oh, okay. film a lot. I think the first film is super successful, and that holds up. It's almost a timeless story. But I think the second film I absolutely despised. I thought it was one of the worst in the entire franchise. The third one is the most similar to the first. So I think they they brought in a lot of those nostalgic elements. They show him and his or they show his dad when he's younger. And so it kind of like yeah. it, it it brings back the emotional connection. The second I just I can't. The second one was so bad. But yeah, not a big fan of the trilogy. Maybe it's just not my style. I'm not a big Indiana Jones person, but I like the first one. There's a certain charm to it, and I like some of the set pieces, like in the second one, like the bridge scene. Um, I'm like, this is a really cool set piece, and some of the effects don't age well, obviously, but uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like some of the cheesiness and the, the Kalima, and like holding the heart. <laughs> I thought, it was, I thought it was so, it's kind of fun. Well, if anybody's a Indiana Jones fanatic, I did do a, a review on this film with uh, my friend Hillary. So we did this on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and we and we ranked the Indiana Jones films. So go check that out. We have Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. This comes out on Netflix on December 22nd. This is the new Zack Snyder film. It's a massive epic. It's this sci-fi story that I read, presumably, that this was kind of linked to his 
pitch for a Star Wars film that was then turned down. So he made his own universe, his own kind of Star Wars-esque story. Zack Snyder is up and down for me. Like, I'm not a fan of the Snyderverse when it comes to all the DC films, but I liked his Justice League, you know, the Z- the Snyder cut of Justice oh, League. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was actually a well-made story. It would probably be like a 7 out of 10 for me. But, it, you know, for four and a half hours, I just thought they told something versus the 2017 version. I, I love Zach. Like, every interview I watch with him, I'm like, I kind of like this dude. Like Very nice guy. Film. Yeah, he's very down to earth. And I love his visual style. Um, I would say, for me, I feel like his movies lack character. I think they kind of bore me because I don't care about any of his characters. Um, like, I think they're cool. Like, some of them are like, He's just a guy that like, I feel like he makes decisions because he's like, this is badass and this yeah, is cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm like, I don't care about that. What what film pokes out as one of his best, would you say? I haven't, like everyone says 300 is his best movie, but I haven't seen it. Because he did um, Watchmen, right? I think he did Watchmen. He did Watchmen. Yeah, I did so, see Watchmen. So I hear Watchmen, 300, Man of Steel. Like I hear those are kind of like the ones who kind of float to the top. Every time I try to watch his movies, man, I just kind of get a little bored. I, I agree. Know. Yeah, uh, I think they're a little stale when it comes to the character development. That's a great, uh, great little nugget. I am excited for this this movie, like these two movies, I guess I should say. It's kind of one movie, but they split it up because of how massive it was. I I really do trust James Gunn in terms of like what he's going to do with the DC because I think he understands characters. And I think his Superman movie might be like really, really good. I think it has more potential than Zach's. I agree. Um, because I think he understands character. I love Zach's visual style, though. Um, I think Man of Steel, before we depart on the Zack Snyder, I think Man of Steel is probably his perfect balance of, you know, working with Christopher Nolan's production company. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. Syncopy or I don't know. How it's Syncopy. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking you know, about. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, talking about. <laughs> I think it's the only film outside of Christopher Nolan's actual films that he has allowed his production company to be a part of. I don't think he's produced any other films under that banner besides Man of Steel. And Man of Steel feels a little bit more than Snyder himself. Like you see what happens with Batman for Superman, you know, with even Justice League and the other characters in Wonder Woman. They kind of depart the the foundation that was laid with man of steel now man of steel in my opinion is like a six and a half maybe a six out of ten so it's not like a great film but i do think it was more than what snyder provided in uh, some of his other films so uh next we have may december which just came out on netflix uh this is the new film with natalie portman julianne moore and charles melton loosely based on a true story of a 36 year old woman who got with and married a seventh grade kid um i just saw this this is uh please check out my review i put it on letterbox put it on my social media a fascinating film and natalie portman is really really good in this have you seen anything for this have you seen a preview or anything similar i i've not this is the first i'm hearing i saw your story though and i saw your review okay so i was like well yeah that's pretty that's a pretty those are high that's a high review when this film premiered, I think it was at it was one of the festivals. I was either Cannes or or Venice, but it it got some high regard as one of the best films of the year. It might be in consideration for the Oscar race. I don't think it will personally, but I do think Natalie Portman is really really good. So I I think this is I, I put this in my review. I think it's one of the only films that appeases 
the the film, you know, the avid film goers and the casual movie goers. It's like one of those few films that you're just like, oh, anybody's really going to find something to enjoy here. So, yeah, May, December, Netflix. We have Maestro coming out, which is probably one of my most anticipated films of the entire year. This is the Bradley Cooper film. It'll come out on uh, tw- December 20th on Netflix. This is directed by it's starring Bradley Cooper about the life of Leonard Bernstein. Uh, apparently, he's worked on this for six years. It's been his baby. It's been his project. Um, the Bernstein family loves it. They think it's an incredible tribute to him as a person. So I don't know. There's a lot of conversation about Bradley Cooper is possibly best director. Obviously, I think that's going to Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. But any interest with this, any interest in composer films like Tar or anything similar? I haven't seen Tar. I'm like, yeah, I love movies. I'm like, I haven't seen any of these. <laughs> I mean, they're <laughs> low key, like, yeah. so I, I don't blame you. I, I, but I kind of like low key movies. Um, uh, I'm interested. I, I'm more interested because of your interest in this movie. What, when you saw the trailer, you posted immediately, and were like, I have really good feelings about this. Um, what intrigued you about it? I think Bradley Cooper. And, you know, I I think he's beloved in the film industry, but I think he is low-key becoming one of the best filmmakers, and he's only made one film. Now two films, but I just think his attention to detail, he doesn't pump out films every two years. He said, hey, I'm going to make one in, what was that, 2017, 2018? And then he immediately spent every living second, you know, on this film and the detail. And I hear that there's there are moments that just truly take the emotion out of you and you just you can't you can't help but gasp at what you're watching because of the storytelling and the character development i think a star is born is one of the best films that we've had over the last 10 years personally speaking and i don't think it gets a lot of hype i i just think it it tests the risk of emotion that people don't like testing and i really like that i like those not i don't want to call sad but i like the the realistic portrayal of humanity you know maybe that's another movie that i would show just to show like there are highs and lows to being a human and you don't always have to end a film on a high note you can end it on an impactful note so i feel like he'll do something similar here i hear it's not a biopic i hear it's more about his relationship more than it is his character and i love bradley cooper i I just have full trust in him as an actor and a director nice man yeah i i'll keep that in mind he's your top he's in he's in your top five i assume of like you see he's cast in a movie and you're in, you're intrigued or like you're very much going to see it especially okay. now like i he he definitely built his foundation on rom-coms and these kind of like funny raunchy comedy movies but when it comes to him deciding to make a film that's where i think he's he kind of takes a step out of that world and you know he even said he'd love to come back to the hangover franchise which he said that because he loves Todd Phillips and he trusts the cast so i think he's more of a thought a thoughtful artist when it comes to his work rather than somebody's like, Hey, how do I get a paycheck? How do I do this? You know? Yeah. And apparently when he met with James Gunn for the role of rocket, like guardians of the galaxy volume three was discussed with him in that pitch, you know, about rocket and his character arc. And that's what Bradley Cooper cared about. So I just think he's, he's a little bit more, he's deeper than the surface level artist in my opinion. So we'll see. We'll see if it's good. It might flop. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea, but we'll, we'll see how good it is. All right, we have the Exorcist believers. Like some controversy around it. Oh, really? Oh, sorry. No, you no, go you're ahead. good. We no, if we can talk. Uh, did, what controversy did you hear about it? Uh, it was like the prosthetics were controversial. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. He did have a prosthetic nose because Leonard Bernstein, like 
infamously just has a big nose or he had a big nose, you know, that, yeah. that's not like something offensive. And even his family agrees with that. Um, and I read into that. Yeah, it was people were thinking it was anti-Semitic. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. His family and even the there's a committee. I, I forgot what it's called, but I read into it because I was like, is this does this have any like leverage? And the committee that kind of determines what what art form is is deemed anti-Semitic or not. They watched the film and they they completely refuted it. They're like, this is not anti-Semitic. There's nothing offensive yeah. in this portrayal. So I think it was a little bit of a like a speck of let's talk about this. Let's talk about this controversy. Yes, yeah. And I don't want to just defend it. You know, maybe there is merit to it, but at the same time, I I don't know. It was a nose. <laughs> so nothing, nice. nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next, we have The Exorcist Believer. I, I think you've seen this. I have not seen this yet. Did you get a chance to see this movie during the Halloween season? No? Uh, Exodus. Ex- the, uh, the Exorcist Believer. Oh, yeah, the, Exorcist. No, yeah. I heard it was awful, so I avoided it. <laughs> I, I also heard the same thing. Yeah, I mean, this is... So it's it's on Peacock now. It came out on the 1st. This is the only like true sequel to the original Exorcist. There have been other Exorcist films including the same actress who was in the original one, the same girl. She was in The Exorcist 2, and I think she was in the third one as well. But this is like the only pure sequel, I guess you could say. And it's actually the first film of a trilogy, which is kind of crazy to me. So they're making three films. This comes from David Gordon Green, who did the Halloween trilogy in 2018. The trilogy already got approved? Yeah, it was pre-approved. Yeah, that that's, oh the, that's the problem, is it was pre-approved, and then it completely... Uh, had a dud so i i've heard bad things i don't know much about this i thought the original i saw it for the first time this year i thought the original is really good timeless i mean it has some prosthetics and you know ish, things that are tied to the 70s but not when it comes to the story things a little ahead of its time like i think it was kind of in the world of coppola and, and scorsese when they started opening these long format stories in cinema and i think the exorcist was right there so any thoughts on The Exorcist? Do you like it? Do you consider it a classic? You are a big horror person, so I feel like you would have an opinion on this. Uh, I remember liking a lot of parts about it, but I watched it with a group, and we didn't we it didn't really hold our attention. I was like, "Oh my gosh, we have a problem." Um, but there's like some like long movies that are really good at holding my attention or getting me to care, and part of me just like didn't care about the priest character very much. And but I cared about the mom and like her daughter and that yeah. journey. So I feel like that's like kind of what carried the movie to me and kind of just like how how would you deal with your daughter going through this? How do you help them? Like, what do you do? And uh, the daughter's performance was really good. The effects were great. Uh, definitely. I, I just felt it felt unsettling the entire time. So yeah, I, it was I vulgar, enjoyed that. You know, like it was adult. Yeah. Like they didn't try to cover it up. Like you, this girl is like essentially saying, fuck you in like in this demonic tone. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like now I'm yeah. a little spooked. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All I right. Agree. Let's wrap these up real quick. I got a couple more, but we don't have to dive into it. So the Snyderverse films, as we mentioned, Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984. Those are all on Netflix now. So they came out on the first. So if you want to dive into his kind of world of DC films, great. Super Mario Brothers movie is now on Netflix. So, I mean, second highest grossing film of the year behind Barbie. You have The Sound of Freedom, which, you know, controversial film, but like, uh, you know, an impactful story. 
That is on Prime Video on the 26th of December. And then your beloved Bo is Afraid will be on Paramount Plus on the 21st of December. Uh, and this is a good segue into a dream scenario. But any any thoughts on Bo is Afraid? Anything you need to leave audiences with to understand and like this movie? This film is not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way I'll of putting it. I'll say that. Like, every time I recommend it, I'm like, you got to be a specific type of person. You have to, like, a specific, like, you have to have a certain taste, like, you're, you're going to love it or hate it. I don't think there's an in-between to this. It's three hours. So, like, and you will feel the length at, a, at certain points. But there's never going to be another movie like this ever again. <laughs> um, no movie will be approved on this scale ever again. <laughs> yes. I'm serious. That's what I'm like. You just have to see it for that alone. That you're going to give this smart independent filmmaker 30 million dollars and like and he's gonna do whatever he wants with it i'm like yeah i'm in for that i think people forgot that that film came out this year i think people just kind of oh, yeah. they, they've swept it under the rug people were like ari aster wait didn't he do hereditary in midsummer and you're like yeah and and bo's afraid came out this year remember that film and they're like wait what bo's afraid what is that film i did not forget bo's afraid i've seen it <laughs> is that that's your favorite <laughs> film of the year right that's your number one uh i think it has to be because i just i couldn't stop thinking about it i couldn't i watched it multiple times i every time someone mentions they like weird movies i'm like <gasps> i have a movie for you <laughs> and uh swiss army man <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i'm like swiss army man for sure i'm like that's like my more safer option that's a great movie, by the way. I really enjoyed Swiss Army Man. You recommended that to me, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Good, good. I I like... That's a good humanity movie for me. Yes. Very thought-provoking. Uh, yes. I would be scared to show it to my parents a little bit for some of the... But I like crude humor, and that, yeah. I feel like that movie has a good taste of crude humor. Same with Bo's Afraid, honestly. Yeah, Bo's Afraid is like... 20 chapters imagine 20 mini films i feel like compiled into one trying to connect to each other so like just so if anybody hasn't seen it at least in my depiction in my own mind that's kind of what you're walking into is this you're you're really investigating the mind of this individual and the imaginations and the anxiety portrayed in these very elaborate productions and you know are this this you know the set designs that they create which that part i very much enjoyed i thought artistically this was Ari Aster at his absolute best. I thought he was doing things that I've never, never thought he could do, intertwining animation and practicality and just yeah. like the absurd nature of throwing a massive penis in the film and just so many things <laughs> going on. Like this is the most absurd movie, but very ambitious. Definitely. This is definitely ambitious. Uh, I, I think it's like one of the funniest movies I've ever seen too. Really? Okay. I know that's so weird to say. But I was like dying in the theater. I was like laughing so hard. Is everybody, I was going to say, was anybody else laughing around you? Was it like a, a, a theater of laughter or was it you laughing and everybody else kind of like, what? what's going on? I Okay, I think I saw it with like a crowd that didn't really like know what they were getting into. I, I knew what I was getting into. Like I know, I watched interviews of Ari and like, I feel like I kind of know him. So I knew what I was like getting in for and I knew like kind of, what to expect to feel like he said like oh it's gonna be like a dark comedy and it's like uh it's gonna be like the jewish lord of the rings oh like, okay I'm in. <laughs> that's what he said so i was like i'm in for this sold then, uh, sold yeah 
I and honestly, like Joaquin Phoenix is like he's up there for me for sure. But I'm not like I'm not gonna see a movie just because he's in it. Like I didn't see Napoleon. Um, everyone kind of told me not to see it. One of his most miscast performances. Like I don't think he did a good job. I thought he yeah. was not well cast for that movie. Yeah, I I'm like I love him, but I'm like I would not cast him as Napoleon. Like that's like one of the reasons I didn't see it. Um, I'm like, is he gonna do an accent? Like, what are they doing? And everyone's reviews like were exactly kind of like what I thought it was gonna be. So I was like, I'm just not gonna see it. It's not worth my time. For for anybody invested in in Napoleon, here's my one line review. Ridley Scott is a spectacle filmmaker. He is not a storyteller. So if you want to go see a spectacle film, massive scale, great. I think you'll enjoy it. But if you want a story, like a, which by the way, this is a two hour and forty five minute film like if you want a story you're not gonna get it so pick your poison uh i would say bo is afraid is also a little bit it, it feels theater to me it uh, does it has very long takes and it's very carried by joaquin phoenix and yeah. his acting and uh, and uh, i feel like all the actors just bring it in that movie and i i think it's like one of the best acted movies i've i've ever seen wow um I, I get that immersed. Everybody, in that this movie. is the pitch. This is Bo is afraid. <laughs> like I think this is the most, I don't know, organically advertised depiction of Bo is afraid and why you should go see it. So, any last thoughts on? Uh, hey, this is why you should go to Bo is afraid. Um, <laughs> he's like, nope. what else can I add to this? <laughs> it is not. No, I'm like, I I'm like hesitant because I'm like, okay, I, I know some people are gonna hate this. I know you don't like it. But I'm like, uh, if you like some weird movies, you like quirkiness, you like theater, uh, you might really like this movie. <laughs> Which is why uh, I wanted to do this podcast with you, because I think this falls right in line with the weird, absurd, you know. And I actually, funny enough, I don't even know what you think about this movie. So dream scenario. Let's dive into this. I'll, I'll share the synopsis real quick. So this is a family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. However... When his nightmare appearances take a nightmarish turn, or nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, he's forced to navigate the consequences of his newfound stardom. So, this is directed by Christopher Borgley. First film outside of Norway, starring Nicolas Cage, Julian Nicholson, Tim Meadows, the wonderful Tim Meadows. You know, I think many people will know him from The Office, the Even Stevens movie, um, even Benchwarmers. Dylan Baker, um, in my opinion, best known as the professor from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. <laughs> That's like how I always remember <laughs> yeah. him. Um, and then Mark I was like, Cop- where is he from? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, thank you. <laughs> uh, and then Mark Coppola, which I put Mark Coppola down because this is kind of unique. He plays Sidney in the film, which is a character who people say looks like Nicolas Cage's character. And it's because it's his older brother. It's Nicolas Cage's older brother. So um, that was kind of a unique tidbit. Uh, if you're ever watching this movie and you watch the dinner scene where they're like, yeah, it's Sydney. Yeah, you look like him. And oh. it's it's his brother. That's Nicolas Cage's brother. So Nicolas Cage is the the nephew of the one and only Francis Ford Coppola. He famously changed his last name to Cage. So kind of a unique backstory there. This is rated R, one hour and 42 minute runtime. I brought you on. The main reason why I, I thought about you after I watched this film and even before I watched this film, we have talked in the past about making films about making ideas some sort of elaborate whether it's grand whether it's small just really diving into the idea of filmmaking and one thing that came to your mind is like you really liked you kind of latched onto the idea of social media 
and like kind of how you can dig into that from a personal perspective, from a grand perspective. So I'm curious when it comes to this depiction of social media, viralness, you know, fame, cancel culture. What were your overall thoughts of the film? I thought it was very nuanced. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job. I could tell the movie was carried by the themes of like fame and cancel culture a little bit. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good take and it was really funny. And it kind of shows you like the sides of that. We like, we don't really think about. Yeah. Uh, that's a terrible answer, but yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> quick. I, I was curious what like the quick overview was, right. We'll dig into some of these. I have some questions. We'll definitely like kind of get into the nitty gritty. There are definitely spoilers for this film. I, I apologize for not mentioning that beforehand, but we will dig into spoilers. I am curious before we dive into kind of some of the details is there something that pops out that landed really well and something that pops out that didn't land well in this film? I thought the dream sequences were really great and honestly, like pretty perfect um, in my opinion. Like dreams are this thing that like once you have a dream, you don't know how to like articulate it. And you're like, I don't even remember half of it, but I remember I was on a journey and I was invested. <laughs> That's all I remember. Yep. And I feel like that this movie does that very well. There were so many dreams where I'm like, I, the, the the dreams they're showing and telling like are perfect. Um, and also how they did it was perfect. Um, there were some, I'm like, I have no idea how they did that. Like the earthquake dream. Yeah. Um, of them in the school, right? Is that the, the yeah. one you're talking about? Yeah. Great yeah I was really impressed. Uh, and... Also, the editing stuck out to me for this movie. All done by Christopher Borgley. You know, he oh he, he did the editing too. Yeah, he did the editing himself. Yeah, very wow. impressive. I will say, there's not another movie that I've seen that's like like this editing style. Like uh, there were some like long takes, and there were some like really fast takes uh, or like cuts. And I'm I would be interested in knowing like why they did that, but okay, I enjoyed it for what it was because sometimes like dreams feel like that, so I I feel like I excused it right away. Other things that stuck out to me, the humor um, stuck out to me. I was laughing really hard. Possibly the funniest movie of the year, like truly <laughs> laugh out loud comedy. Like if you're watching this with friends or in a theater with random people, I think you're gonna get laughter that's just coming in so many different moments very funny yeah. film we there was only like four other people in that theater with us and that made me sad because i was like this is a great big theater experience. very much uh I, I would love to be in a full packed theater with this movie for the first time unfortunately i i hate that i watched it like kind of just like with some friends and family for the first time but they were all cringing and laughing like it definitely gives you those feelings of like, oh, like, is this ethical? How did they do this? <laughs> is like, this ethical? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I loved it for what it was and what it like did. I have a feeling that some people are going to think that like the ending is a little cliche. Personally, I loved the way it ended. I thought it was very cute. Like, I love a good full circle moment. And it was also like metaphorical too. So I don't Yeah. What about you? What were your highs and lows? Yeah, I mean, overall, I like this film a lot. You know, I I have a question later on that I'll ask you, but I thought this was a really good film, especially for a relatively unknown filmmaker. Nicolas Cage is the star, which, by the way, 
you know, the reason why I said this was relatable to Bo's Afraid, Ari Aster was going to do this film with Adam Sandler. That was the original pairing. And then Ari Aster saw Borgley's previous film, his Norwegian film that I, I can't remember what it was called, but he loved the quality and the style. And so he decided that he would be a good match for the story. And then Ari Aster uh, introduced Nicolas Cage to this story. So that's how kind of that whole full circle moment came about. But it feels very much like an Ari Aster type story. It feels very much binding of the hereditary Midsummer. Bo's Afraid, maybe a little bit more human, a little bit more mainstream than than his work. But I thought the comedy landed. That was the number one thing that stuck out to me. This film is so funny and it is so dry. It has a lot that's kind of coming out from, you know, there's there's scenes with him farting. There's scenes even just him walking in the dreams and not doing anything but walking they they position those those sequences so well to where him walking is the humor. That's the funny part of that moment. Whereas so many other films, you know, we talk about this with horror. I think sounds are more impressive in horror than visuals. So in this film, I felt like it was similar with comedy. Seeing them walk or just be there in the scene was more impressive than anything he could have said, anything he could have mentioned in the scene, any maybe one liner that they they could have tried. So I think the comedy landed heavily. I do think what didn't land, I guess, fully is the romantic element. You know, they explore comedy, they explore horror, and then they explore romance. And I loved the feeling of the end, truly. Like, I don't have a big qualm with the way it ended. I, I loved that emotional side, but I felt like they just tested it. They didn't they didn't fully, like, allow that feeling to kind of unravel or to to, I guess, hit the audience a little bit harder. So those two really stuck out to me. Like if there was a word that I would use to describe this film, strange, quirky, but even original. Like I think this is very much, it's it's loosely based on a true story, a, a hoax story of somebody who essentially said, yeah, 3,000 3, people have seen this this guy in his dreams and they, they used that foundation. So I think it is original. I mean, it's adapted, but I do feel like there's a lot of original elements in this, but I liked it. I thought it landed pretty well. Uh, I guess I'm curious, you being a Charlie Kaufman fan, who's, you know, a very acclaimed writer, a great writer, this is being, you know, related to adaptation, which is from Charlie Kaufman, which I have not seen. But Charlie Kaufman also did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind being John Malkovich. Do you feel like this is a Charlie Kaufman film? Like, do you feel like this fits in that category or not so much? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I the entire time I was watching it, I was like, this feels like adaptation. Or like very similar because I'm like, yeah, it has Nick Cage. But like the way it depicts reality, um, to me, it was like very accurate. Let's talk about Nick Cage, too. Like, did you like his performance along? Like, how did you feel about him in general? <laughs> I I thought he was perfect for like what the character was. Um, there were like a couple times I was like, I feel like that was overacting. But then I realized I was like, that was perfect. Like, yeah, I like felt that his, same exact his, way his uh apology scene i had do you remember that yep um very the, dramatic very over dramatic him crying but forcefully crying it literally like all the feelings I, or like thoughts i was thinking i was like oh this feels a little over dramatic and overacted and then like two seconds later his wife was like that was not <laughs> genuine it was fake like it yeah yeah disingenuous yeah, yeah it was perfect I almost wonder if those scenes were like infused after the fact. Like, I almost wonder if he did that apology and Borgley watched that that moment. He's like, all right, 
that was definitely over dramatic. Like, how do we compliment that? Let's compliment it by his wife saying that it was, you know, disingenuous. Like, I'm curious if that was all part of the script or if one piece came together and then Borgley's like, how do we, we need to compliment that because that was a little much, you know? That's a possibility. Uh, to me, it felt intentional. Um, or like, like the joke was like just too good um, for it not to be intentional. And like, and the fact that it was like a really long take also felt intentional to me. What was it Oscar worthy? Like, do you think that this is a uh, Nicolas Cage might be considered type? Oh, I don't know. I don't really think about like, is this, I don't know. I don't even know what is Oscar worthy for what this character was. I thought it was perfect. Like uh, this middle-aged man that like feels like he's, he's lacking something in his life and That's... he has desires and wants, but nothing feels like it's going his way. And, but at the same time, like this guy's kind of like weird. And uh, I'm trying to think about like the flaws in his character. Like he's not socially available. Like he's not there. And you could see that with his ex-girlfriend that he dated what seems like 20 years ago when he's <laughs> meeting with her in that, that diner and she leaves and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> like he doesn't know what to say. Like he doesn't know how to piece his mind together. So there's definitely this like socially awkward vibe to him, which fits so well. Like I think that adds complexity to the character that I needed. Like I needed to see how socially awkward he was for somebody who's going to get a shit ton of fame and shit ton of validation. Yeah. It was a great contrast rather than somebody who is socially available getting those things. Yeah. I, you mentioned Ari Aster and Adam Sandler and I'm like, yeah, I could see that. But I think Nicolas Cage was perfect because he is an actor that's literally like he's Nicolas Cage. Like he's kind of like a meme just for being himself. And I felt like that fit in perfectly to this character of like, he knows what it's like to be really famous and like not being perceived for who he is and, and being a meme. And just, I, I don't know. I just felt like that was a perfect casting, honestly. And um, I love those little moments of, uh, I feel like another director that I know is like good at depicting reality is like Noah Baumbach. Yeah. Really good. Husband of Greta Gerwig works on a lot of movies together. Yeah, same with Greta. I feel like they they just know like I just feel like they get it. <laughs> they do. They get it. They get the human experience. Yes, and this movie I felt like got it. Like it just I I, I feel like it just clicked. I'm gonna make you choose a distinction though. I, I want to ask you this question. Oh yeah, was Nicolas Cage perfect for the role because of his own mannerisms? You know, the the whole meme culture, like just how he is as a human. Or did he perform well or both? You know, I guess you could you could take that route too. you could say, ah, oh, it's both. But was there one like, did he perform genuinely well? Or is this kind of just a Nick Cage role for his personality? I thought I didn't really see Nick Cage at a point like I felt I I fell for his character. Um, so I think he did his job. Yeah, I feel similar. He also had like little ticks that he did really well, uh, like his laugh was like <laughs> uh, very awkward and like uh un like the timing was weird and it was like abrupt like an abrupt laughter yes yeah yeah and like you just like knew i'm like that's a weird laugh <laughs> is he is he better now like do you think i don't know if you've seen unbearable weight of massive talent renfield or pig or any of these recent films from nicholas cage but 
Do you think he's a better actor now than he was in the 90s and 2000s when he was considered one of the better action stars? I'm curious how people feel about him now in his what seems like 50s, maybe 60s. I think some people just don't know how to use him. There's there's certain projects that I think he's really, really good in. and Like Adaptation. I think he's perfect in that movie. And I, I couldn't recommend that movie anymore. I'm like, if you liked Dream Scenario, Adaptation's a really good watch. Give me the quick summary of Adaptation, just for audiences to hear what this movie's about. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little weird, but... Have I love how that's the John... first distinction. I love how <laughs> it's a little weird, you know. Hey, by the way, if you like weird movies, Bo is a friend. I'm just kidding. I have not seen John Malkovich. Part of me feels like to get like the full experience, you should see that movie first. That's a different kind of genre, I would say, though. Adaptation feels like it's it's reality uh, or it's trying to depict reality. And being John Malkovich is not that at all. It is definitely surreal and weird <laughs> okay um but the, the reason i say that is because adaptation is a it's about the writer who wrote being john malkovich and there's like scenes and glimpses of like him being on the set of the making being john malkovich and he's like what are they doing so nicholas cage plays charlie kaufman that so that's his character and he just plays like this kind of depressed i guess like loser the opening is perfect. Uh, the writing, like Charlie Kaufman wrote the movie. So this movie is about him trying to write a movie based on a book. Inception to its max here. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And uh, the book is a the book he's trying to adapt to a screenplay is about flowers and there's like not much of a story in the book. Like there's a little bit of a story, but he's just like, he it's like him getting writer's block. And it also has themes of like Hollywood and what's wrong with Hollywood and what they get wrong about reality. It's also like has a ton of self-aware humor. They like, they'll make a joke about like, Oh, I hate that Hollywood does this. And then they'll literally do that in the movie, like two seconds later. And, but it's like subtle. It's kind of like calling yourself out. Like it's like almost it's like, is it present in the sense that it knows all the issues that are happening? It's like, hey, by the way, we're going to depict these issues just so you see what we're talking about. It's it's kind of more satirical, I would say. Okay, which fits with this as well. Like this is very satirical. This is a very, you know, especially when it comes to cancel culture, fame going viral, you know, validation. I feel like this is a satirical type movie. Which, by the way, like any thoughts on the whole cancel culture and how that's depicted in this film? Anything that stuck out to you? I was reading some reviews and some people were saying they didn't like the ending because I guess I felt a little bit lost. Because I was like, if this was reality, I don't think we would cancel this person. But I'm like, I don't know. At the same time, I'm like, I think maybe I excuse it because spoilers um and then like once the movie turns and hits the part in the script of like all right like he's got to start struggling now uh, people start having nightmares about uh, at first he was this character that d- would be in people's dreams and do nothing and then the first time he does something someone has a sex dream about him 
that kind of like he's like oh i'm actually doing something in this dream i'm intrigued by this person and then there's like a follow-up like hilarious scene after that but uh and then you kind of find out that he's a flawed person i think this movie is trying to say something about like uh in action a little bit during that scene of like she's asking him to recreate her dream which funniest scene of the entire movie in my opinion yeah for like her sexual pleasures but like also like he's not saying no there's plenty of like opportunities for him to not cheat on his wife right (laughs) i think that and then like he's like a flawed character um, and he's not like a, someone like you're trying to like root for. And I think people are going to have a hard time with that. Like we always like want a character that like wants something and like you want to follow them on their journey. And I personally, I don't always like that. And adaptation talks about that. Like Charlie Coffin's character goes to like a Hollywood writer and tries to get advice. And he's like, what if the character's kind of like depressed and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you trying to like bore your audience? But like the movie in and of itself is like, he's a depressed character. And, but it's like trying to, it's like proving that, that like uh writing system is a little bit flawed. Like you can have a character that doesn't know what they want. Yeah. I mean, there's no protagonist in this film, right? I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no good guy and bad guy. It's just, it's a character study about him. And to your point, the parallels are being used from, when he's kind of doing nothing in life, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, that's a very broad term, nothing. But when he's just kind of inactive, he's inactive in these dreams. And then when he starts acting upon his thoughts or maybe his desires or maybe things, whether it's good or bad, then the good or bad kind of starts to be shown in these dreams. The parallel starts happening and it's synonymous to his life, which, you know, there's no, non-fictionalized credibility to that but i think it's a really intriguing way to portray hey this is kind of what it's seen on a grand scale right we we think things we have our imperfections that we're like well nobody can see it right i bite my nails every day but nobody's seen this so it's not a problem but if everybody was seeing me bite my nails every day i think that would allow me to kind of reconsider biting my nails because then it's on full display and i like that type of i don't want to call it cancel culture but i like that type of I don't know, portrayal of the parallels between what you're doing in your life and then that being seen on a grand scale and how that affects you. Why is it not affecting you individually, but it's affecting you when a mass audience is there watching it? I think that's a really good depiction on fame and, you know, kind of that validation that we seek. It was it was pretty tasteful. Um, Very. And the way it did it, like when people get canceled for something, we don't fully understand. I think, yes, people are quick to judge and I feel like it addresses that. And then... Also, maybe we don't fully understand what the subject is. And I feel like his character was a little bit like that. Like he wasn't like a very good listener. And uh, like even like the bedroom scene with his wife, he was a little bit judgy of like her fantasy or something rather than like just listening. Um, And then I feel like that's when like the full circle moment at the end was kind of like uh, he's having his like little good, his savior. He's finally like, that was like it was like showing what he's like missing out on or like what he could have been of like a savior or uh instead of an inactive individual yeah. or a a haunting individual he could be this good individual yeah i think people are going to relate this movie to maybe like the good samaritan analogy i think it it is a little bit like that 
Um, but also like it's very nuanced. Um, it's very, I think it is a little bit hard to articulate as well. What are the other moments of that you think it did well addressing cancel culture? Yeah, I think just in the sense of, to your point, like cancel culture is so, it feels far away from anybody who's just not famous or anybody who's not on a grand scale. It feels so like untouchable. So anything we do wrong, we almost kind of think to ourselves, there's there's our own consequence rather than the large scale consequence. And so seeing this from a very, you know, socially awkward individual who is actually not doing anything wrong, but there's the almost the the perception, right? Like the perception versus the reality. I love how they they projected that. And I think that is the message. Like if I was to ask you, what is the message from this film? I typed up human beings live more in each other's minds than we do in each other's physical presence. And that was also kind of stemmed from Christopher Borgley, the the, the creator of this film. And I really like that because that, that I feel that like we 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 kind of assume things because we're we're in each other's minds. We post on social media thinking, what does this person want to see? What do, how do I gain the attention of somebody else? But we're not living in the presence of another human being, let alone the presence of ourself. So I think it did a really good job with the perception versus reality aspect. And to your point, like it comes full circle. Do I think it could have been hashed out a little bit more on the sentimental side of his romance and his relationship? Absolutely. But I think it did a good job of depicting the inaction, the horror, and then kind of the middle ground of this is the possibility of what you can have or what you could have had if you decided to be this type of person. So do you have a, a, a message, like the message for you that you kind of took away from this? Being present um, was kind of what I took from it, was just being in the moment and trying not to be judgmental of things that like I don't fully understand. I think that's kind of like what I took away from it. Yeah. Also, were there any other scenes that like really stuck out to you that we can kind of talk about? Yeah. So I loved that, that scene where... For anybody who has watched the movie, and even if you haven't, you don't mind the spoilers. He joins this this agency, right? Which, by the way, I love those scenes. Like, I, I just think, um, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. Yeah. So good in this role, and I think it's because he's literally portraying the opposite persona that he's always portrayed in shows and movies. Like, he's actually social, and he's very, I don't know, he's he's out there, he's charismatic. Where in all these movies, even Barbie earlier this year. He's this awkward, shy individual. So I loved him in that scene or in this film. So there's obviously that scene with the one of the members of that talent agency where she has the sexual dream of Nick Cage or his character. And they go back and they try to recreate it. And I think that is the funniest scene of the movie. It's very present. It's it's abstract in the sense that it's once again, he's not saying anything. They use farting, which sounds obnoxious, but it actually is very fitting. I really like that. I love the dream sequences. I loved the end. I just wish I got more of it. Like I, I loved the the use of music and the way that it enhanced the emotions. Sometimes music can be overutilized and it can kind of be, I don't know, maybe a cop out for some people. But I thought in the end and kind of this, once again, this dreamy sequence that they're trying to create that's emotional and sentimental. I think it worked. I just wish they did more of that. So I don't know when it comes to specific scenes. I'm trying to, you know, I loved him in that coffee shop or that diner meeting up with his ex-girlfriend. Him just being awkward. (laughs) Those were just prominent moments in my mind. You know, him going into class 
and thinking that his information about evolutionary bi- or what is it yeah evolutionary like biology or yeah. something like that that he's teaching is the most profound thing and people are just like we don't care and we 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 care more about you showing up in our dreams than we do you know your information that that you find satisfaction from which i'd like to you know as we're kind of wrapping this up a little bit i'm curious what you think about that right for him he was personally satisfied by his knowledge but that wasn't enough like he he ended up getting validated by people asking questions about him being in their dreams more than the satisfaction of his own knowledge of what he's teaching and so was there any i don't know maybe parallel or anything that you took from his character and maybe that relating to the human experience. I liked the metaphor of like fame with like the zebra of like, yeah, that was great. You're going to want to be hunted if when you're like alone, I don't know what do you feel like I was trying to say? Like, do we sympathize with like celebrities or I feel like it was for me, it was just like, it's just a weird different experience. And also like what you said with like social media, it feels also like inhuman. Hey, like it doesn't really feel like real connection. And I think with the, and also I think it did address like a little bit of capitalism and like what's inhuman about it. And especially with that Michael Sarah scene um, and also and like they're capitalizing on like dreaming and like the little wristband. Uh, I felt more of like, this is telling me that these things are inhuman and that sticks out to me. And I, I just like the way it was depicted as well. Yeah. I like the zebra scene a lot too. Like that. Yeah. I, I totally forgot that analogy or that metaphor because I think with the film, if I'm thinking, hey, if viewers aren't taking the message of perception versus reality, maybe they'll take the message of in 2023, um, the entry toward fame seems more accessible in 2023 than ever before. You have TikTok, you have Instagram, you have YouTube. You have even films and TV series that there's just way more opportunities now, which means everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but a large portion of, you know, 15 to 35 year olds and even 40 year olds are trying to get into that space. They're trying to make themselves known and they're trying to stand out. And so I think the analogy or the metaphor of, hey, by the way, like if you try this, if you try to do your own thing and you're trying to get recognized and you're trying to be seen those are the moments that you're going to be spotlighted the most. You're going to be highlighted the most. Your flaws are going to be enhanced the most. So just be careful because when you're camouflaged or when you're in kind of this group scenario or you're going with the flow, quote unquote, that's that's not typically when anybody's going to try to find flaws. They're not going to try to zoom in on every misdeed that you've done in your life. And, you know, being somebody that is not famous, but somebody who creates content on TikTok you see that a little bit, you know, people will jab at you, they'll they'll try to get a reaction out of you because anybody with a mass following, a celebrity, a, a you know, a sports star, or an athlete or anything, if they respond to you, that's satisfaction to the consumer. So they'll say whatever they can to get something provoked out of you. And we see that. Like we see that from Nicolas Cage where he kind of loses his shit on camera because the kids provoke something from him. And that's satisfaction for them because now they're going to go viral. Now they're going to get recognition. So it's this weird kind of like health trap of social media and fame and going viral and almost saying, where's the substance, right? Are you talking about this because there's the idea of going viral or are you talking about this because you love it? Am I talking about movies because I want to go viral? Absolutely not. Like I love movies. Like I love movies so much. 
And I'm just trying to build upon that. Like I'm really trying to get deeper into this space. And if those, you know, viral moments come with it, great. That's, that's, you know, a byproduct of what I'm really trying to do. But I think many people are trying to go viral because they, they want the validation. They want the sense of perspective in their life from somebody else. So a fascinating movie, man. I think this, this explores so many different elements. Is there anything, because you and I like this movie. Like this is definitely a movie we enjoyed from what we're talking about. Is there something that could have changed to make this film a masterpiece? To make this kind of a, an everything everywhere all at once of 2023? Um, I would say maybe the music didn't always land for me. But I don't think it was like it was trying to. I think it was just trying to be like this subtle, quirky, witty movie. And not really trying to like evoke a ton of emotion from us. And I don't know. Part of me loved it for what it was. It also like... I have a question uh, like about attention. I feel like it, it has themes of like mass attention and like, can we handle that as humans? And you've had kind of moments of like mass attention. What goes through your mind? Um, Humorize all the negativity. Like, I think that's the best thing. Like if anybody, which most people will have something negative to say, but once again, they just want a reaction. Like, I don't think people actually feel that way. I think they just want you to say something. And so if you can humorize it or make it fun or make it comedic, I think that makes the entire process just like more light. It makes it more accessible. It makes it more understandable so that when you show a product that maybe you care so much about, right? There will be a moment that I create a film or something similar that I feel so passionate about and people are going to dog on it. They're going to rag on it. They're going to say shit and it's terrible. And I think my mindset has to be turned on to make those moments humorous, make them fun just see them as a light response rather than, you know, that's my life's work and that that there's so much validity to that. You know, definitely take criticism, but I think take it with a grain of salt when it comes to the negativity. So luckily I haven't dealt with too much craziness. Like I feel like the people around me are very supportive and they, they're like, you, it's really cool that you're doing this. Like you're one of them. Like you're a very supportive individual and like, hey, I loved seeing you on your path. But there are people who just don't know you that instead of them trying to be kind to gain your attention, they know that rude remarks will kind of stand out a little bit more. So if you're an emotional person, you take those criticisms kind of deep to heart, humorize them, make it comedic, make it fun. I feel like this movie does that too. Like it makes the serious moments fun. It makes it comedic. And I think that's what makes it work. Yeah. What about uh, positive attention? How do you handle like a ton of positive attention? Take it light. Um yeah, I think sometimes, and I've I've dealt with this, I'm guilty, but I think sometimes positive, you know, validation and over positive validation will kind of pause you. Like it'll, it'll make you pause on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish because you're so enamored and and you're you're appreciative of that that love and that validation that you stop maybe, you know, in my case, you stop making content, you stop dreaming and imagining and how do I make this better and how do I construct myself because you're caught up in, oh, well, they love this, so let's keep making this. So really trying to separate the identity of I have a vision that nobody knows but me and I need to continue in that vision versus, oh, this 8 million people love this video. Let's keep making videos like that. That's, I think, where people go wrong is they use the validation as their main source of this is what I should be doing with my life now. Yeah, it's definitely like a business thing. It's like follow the numbers. And yeah, I don't always think business goes well with art to be honest i agree um 
so um, that's why i'm like a big fan of like what a24 is doing because it's like we got to support original content and filmmakers and they're trying to say something and you know hollywood is just gonna like follow like formulas that's why we get sequels and remakes of like those were successful let's just do that again uh and rather than i'm like that's not really they think they know what we want to see but i i don't think they know us at all or they're, they're not human I don't, yeah I don't, they don't feel human and like the way they treat workers don't feel human so i'm like i but this movie felt like uh, a little bit of a breath of fresh air for me it, i agree i i could i said something very similar walking out of the theater i went with a buddy of mine and i was just like that was so refreshing it was different it was something that's not in the main frame or the mainstream of movies and stories that are on screen and look at a24 man talk to me past lives dream scenario Bo is afraid they continue giving filmmakers opportunities and what happens is dream scenario i imagine christopher borgley is now going to continue making films I know Talk to Me is now making a sequel as as well as a prequel. You know, like people want more of this because it's an identity. It's more they allow filmmakers to be them rather than allowing filmmakers to just be the middle ground for a studio to tell their story. It's like, no, this is not the studio story. This is Christopher Borgley's story. You know, this is Ari Aster's story. This is, you know, so that's what I like about A24 is they're trusting the filmmaker. They're getting back into the independent side of things which I think is making cinema a little bit more exciting. What would you rate this, by the way? Like if one out of five or one out of 10, like what would you rate this film? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how to like rate movies, to be honest. I'm like, oh, I'm like, for what I was trying to do, I think it did a really well, a really good job. Like if I was in charge, I think I might direct the music a little bit differently. I'm, I might need another rewatch to be honest to like perfectly like rate it. I I would give it a high rating. <laughs> okay, I'll Whatever. take it. I'll take yeah, that. Sorry. It's not no, like don't be. Exact. I I gave this a 4 out of 5. Um I consider this a top 20 film of the year. It's not listed in my top 10, but I liked it. I thought it was really good. It's enjoyable. Once again, it's original. It feels different than what you're going to, mo- you know, theaters to see on screen. Some additional notes real quick. Uh, first collaboration between Nicolas Cage and A24. While filming in, I believe it was Toronto, Priscilla was being made by Sofia Coppola, who was Nicolas Cage's cousin, and Megalopolis was also being filmed by Francis Ford Coppola, who was obviously his his uncle. So they they would get together and they would they would just collaborate. They would talk about the films together and they would share ideas and feedback. So a really good film. Like I would recommend this for anybody wanting a film. I. We decided to review this film because of how different it is. I reached out to Joel the day after I watched this. I was like, would you be open to reviewing this? Because I know you're going to see it. And we got to talk about this movie because it's different. But any last notes or thoughts on the film Dream Scenario? What were your, like, your favorite dream sequences? I will say the one, and this is not a big sequence. It's not a one that probably many people will remember or keep in mind, but the sequence of him running toward his daughter and flailing his arms up, <laughs> like that stuck with me because they used this this pounding sound and it was it was haunting to me. I was like, they did a really good job of a child's imagination and a child's understanding in a dream. It's having your dad with this big smile and wide eyes and just like, coming at you flailing your arms and legs so that stuck with me well what about you there was like one uh of like a kid like running in the woods and he was like in a tuxedo or something 
Um, do you remember that? It was like in the beginning. Yes. yes. <laughs> and he like peeks around the corner. Yeah. And there's like a scary person like running after him. Yeah. And then he's just like playing with like the flower <laughs> or like looking at the mushrooms on the tree or whatever. That one just felt very like that's a dream. Um, and even like the advertisement dreams or whatever. And he's just like, he starts punching them with his arms. And it's like, you hear that like water sound effect. I thought that was perfect. Um, oh, oh, what'd you think of the cinematography? I thought it was great. I, I feel like it was, I don't know who, who does Steven Spielberg cinematography, but it felt a little synonymous with that like dark blue color tone. And I felt like they utilized the sets really well. This seemed to be a pretty practical film. Like, I don't think they did a lot with CGI until it came to the dream sequences. And even then, like I watched a couple behind the scenes, it was very practical. Do they have like CGI? They, oh, that's a good question. Maybe, uh, I, maybe they nothing didn't looks have CG to me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they didn't. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to find out. I don't know if they did. I know we've talked about like practical versus CG. Part of me is like, I would only do CG if it really looks good. I'm gonna do it as practically as I think I can. This feels like everything everywhere all at once to me. Like w- the way that they made it practical with all of their weird sequences and everything that was kind of a little bit ambitious. It was still very practical. Like a lot of that film was, if not predominantly all of the film, was done practically rather than with CG. And so this feels similar to that. Like I like the color of it. I like the dream scenarios. I thought just the the film style itself looked good. Like I didn't watch that and feel overstimulated by so many things going on that I can't comprehend or my my own, you know, psychology can't really take in. So I felt like it did a really good job making it believable and realistic. And to your point, when it did the dream sequences, that also feels like something I could relate to and say, wow, I can relate to the feeling of punching water or having the stomping feeling or getting killed in my dream and not remembering anything else. Like I didn't remember anything after or before I just woke up. So they did a really good job of depicting that. Maybe they could have gone like a little bit more over the top with some of the dreams, but I I loved just like what they did. And like I've had some of those dreams, like someone's like tooth, like just coming out. I remember that yeah. was like one of them. Yep. Um, and the alligator one, just like feeling trapped by alligators. Or, um, uh, I feel like I'm like, yeah, they did a good job on picking like, well, all right, what should we do for like some of these dream sequences? Which there were a lot of them. Like there, there's a lot of options to choose from. I end these these episodes with recommending a film. I've been starting to do that. And honestly, I, I usually recommend a film completely different than what I'm talking about. But I'm going to recommend this film. I think Dream Scenario is worth watching. It's worth paying money for. It's probably going to be on streaming soon. But I think for the time being, go watch it with an audience. You know, even if there's four people in the theater or 300. I just think it's fun. Like people will laugh. Go with a group. I think you'll laugh together. I will say... I also watched the show Band of Brothers for the first time. And I know this is an older show, but I would recommend that one as well. Any movies, TV shows, anything that you would suggest, anything that you would recommend for the time being? Adaptation. Now I'm like, I got to recommend that to you. Uh, Go watch Adaptation. If you like Dream Scenario, Adaptation. It's like a, it's also like very, very well written as well. Okay. Adaptation. Yeah, having a conversation about dream scenario, the weirdness of it, the originality of it, but also bringing on somebody who's a, you know, a filmmaker, a videographer, somebody who understands putting sequences together and making a story feel cohesive and and continuous. So this is great, man. I I appreciate any last comments, feedback, concerns, anything else? 
No, I, I know that we probably went a little too long, but I appreciate uh, Never too you long. inviting me, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. For for everybody who's stuck with us, you know, for the hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes, thank you. Yeah, it's always great to have, you know, anybody listening, sharing with friends. Uh, we appreciate talking about movies. Go watch more movies. Uh, until next time, we will talk soon. Peace. Peace.